0: Hello, Peter Squire here, Winnipeg Regional Real Estate Board's Vice President, External Relations and Market Intelligence. I'm your host of this special podcast series of The Voice, where we interview 2022 mayoral candidates to hear what they have to say on issues important to the real estate industry. The Winnipeg Regional Real Estate Board serves over 2,400 members in and around the Winnipeg metropolitan region, who in 2021 transacted over $6.5 billion in residential real estate through our MLS cooperative selling system and significant amounts of commercial real estate development, sales and leasing through our CPIX commercial real estate system. We believe that real estate is amongst the most important facets of the economy, servicing diverse business sector locations and housing as the anchor to where we live, work, play, and invest in. Welcome, Glenn Murray. Thank you for joining us on The Voice today. Let's get started. If elected as mayor, what strategies will you implement to reverse the trend we are seeing where more people are leaving our city to go to other provinces than coming here?
1: I would say three major things, Peter, and it's things that you're familiar with because we worked when I was mayor last time broadly in the community and the real estate board was a driver of embracing this huge concern that we were losing the next generation of Winnipegers. I think we successfully set out to make the city more livable, more beautiful, more attractive to retain a creative and dynamic workforce, aka our kids, but also to become part of the constellation of cities where other people would see Winnipeg as a primary city to live in and a desirable city to live in. So, Because what you do to keep people is the same thing you do to attract people. And we were going through some very difficult transitions. As you remember, that was when Eaton's closed, Uh, the Jets left before that. So we had to really fundamentally think about about our city. And we, we know from all the work that economic development, Winnipeg and others have done. One of the biggest things that determines how people see our city is our downtown. And we, we started a strategy, with more people living downtown. We did waterfront drive, but we did it in a very different way. We had a lot of expertise from the real estate and development community. We realized that we put $12 million into the road and then we allowed write-offs to so people if they were investing in an existing building, and uh, a heritage building, uh, they could get 50% of their investment from their building against the property tax. So you put $5 million in a building you we gained um, $2.5 back. And we were building so someone might say, well, that must have cost the city a lot of money. Well, Waterfront Drive generated tens of millions of dollars very quickly within a few years over what the costs were. The vacancy rate that was well over 60% dropped to the single digits. And we created an area that was contaminated, had an old steam plant, had abandoned rail lines from one of the least desirable places into the city. I think the real estate community would tell you the Waterfront community now is one of the most desirable. And we built the tax base. Had we not done that, the city would have been further ahead. And then we, we went and we did that with Red River College and we created an incredible partnership there and then the Shed District. And we did this across the city in older neighborhoods as well and new neighborhoods. And what that did is it shifted. So we went from retail downtown to sports and entertainment, the baseball stadium, the all the new theater investments, the Human Rights Museum, the the Neganin, the uh, new convention center, the new sports and entertainment center now, I think Canada Life. All of that created a dynamic and exciting downtown. We built rapid transit and we made the city more livable and more beautiful. And I think those are the kinds of things that retain and keep people here and make us attractive.
0: Thanks, Glenn. What are your strategies to attract business investment to Winnipeg? And what sectors do you believe should be focused on?
1: Well, I I would say like one of the things I'm introducing is a 20-year plan, because I think to really build momentum and to get change, some of those involve really major investments, rapid transit investments that happen over 5, 10, 15 years. You know, getting a downtown population of 30 or 40,000 people, is going to be 5, 10, 15, 20 years if we look at, at that build out. You know, building uh, cargo designated areas so that we we finally sort out our trucking and our rail infrastructure first before we move any rail yards so that we actually understand. I've been, I've met with Rob Penner from Bisons. I met with the people from Max Trucking today. I met with some of the people from CN. Just to get a picture of how do we move our goods out. So it's it's different for other other industries. So the industry I'm in for five years, I've been uh, starting two companies here. Very exciting. It's nice to be in the private sector. There's a lot of freedom that comes with that. Going to lose all of that soon if we're successful. But you know, there are like forty thousand people, twenty thousand who work in creative and design and cultural industries, and about another twenty thousand that work in IT, environmental technologies. Those industries require. They, the people people go there because they want to live in post and beam they they want to work in cool historic buildings which we're one of the few cities that has a lot of they really love the brown jug and they love that they can walk to jet exam they love the number of theaters and they love the fringe festival and who doesn't love fat Pat five and who who doesn't want to have a summer wine at non who doesn't want to walk or ride their bikes along beautiful trails who doesn't want to live in some of the beautiful communities in Charleswood or some really cool things in the restoration of some of the older street parts of Transcona we're a city that just is incredibly livable. And so that's how, how you build it. And as a real estate agent will tell you, I used to real estate agents don't just sell houses, they help build neighborhoods. Because all of, we all know that you don't just move to a city, you move to a neighborhood. And, and people people buy a neighborhood, not just a house. So having the most livable neighborhoods is also part of it. But that whole IT uh, and, and the, the whole, like I'm, we're in green technology, the, the merger of the online world and the on ground world in smart transportation technology, smart energy technologies, passive building design, geothermal thermal systems, biomaterial, building materials. Uh, these are all areas that we can rock. But we also have our traditional industries. We're, we're a transportation hub. We're a trucking hub. Um, Windpack, our manufacturing center. We still have an, an active apparel industry. Um, we have uh, important agricultural industries here. I mean, I, I could make a long list, but that whole industrial area, we have to go back and protect that uh, because a lot of our industrials, particularly our airport lands and a lot of things, along we've lost a lot of our trucking because we didn't protect them. We we're losing a lot of our industrial lands. So when windpack wants to expand, we're going to have to bring in these idea of cargo-oriented, uh, designated areas the way other large cities have, look at locational efficiency, um, and, and, and really make sure that we have that infrastructure. And I've already started for the last couple of months meeting with leaders in these areas to build out that relationship so that we make sure that we have the right designations of land. And it's easy to get the approvals. You know, pre-approve everything. Get, get your residential areas pre-approved. So, you don't have any appeals. You don't have to go through varices. Get your industrial land, like,
0: Center, like um, Center Port, is a good example of that. We need to do more of that. What steps will you take to address the issue of Manitoba being one of the provinces with a chronic shortage of residential dwelling units? And this is something I know you're passionate about, and I, I know I am passionate about. Which is, you know, that is
1: incredible when you think that we have almost most, more surface land. And we have spent more money on roads and pipes than on a per capita basis than almost any city. So you ask yourself, how could we have so much geography? I mean, having lived in Calgary and Toronto for periods of time, like, I mean, they really like, especially Toronto, there's, you know, there isn't curb cut they're not building a building on right now, right? Um, So how can this be? Well, part of the problem is, is every year we're using more land, more pipes, more roads, to house fewer people and to support fewer jobs. So the most successful and cost-effective cities that have the strongest tax base relative to the cost is the ones that don't waste infrastructure and don't waste land. And a lot of other cities that have beautiful neighborhoods, very walkable. I live in Crescentwood. You know, we're a mid-density neighborhood, and you know, eighty percent of it is single-family homes with nice grass. But I can walk to my grocery store. I can walk to a hardware store on Lilac Street. I have everything within a fifteen-minute walk. So we have to get back to fifteen-minute neighborhoods. And as soon as we do that, you know, we've lost eighty-eight thousand people from a mature neighborhoods it's not going to be that hard to get 88,000 people back. But there's a new initiative that I've been working on with the with the Exchange District biz and downtown businesses where we're looking at these things called residential improvement zones. So we pre-approve a large area that could house two, 3,000 people. Sometimes it might be single family, it might be mixed, it might be high density. And we identified seven major areas that really don't have any buildings on them and what infrastructure, what would be required. And what I'm going to do if I'm mayor is I'm going to take those plans, extend them across the city. So we pre-approve the infrastructure in that. But we do something else. We model what the costs are to the city, and then we model what the tax revenues are. And we don't build things that don't pay their own way. So one of the first things, and where I disagree with some of the other candidates who have talked about, you know, not too much thought about locations, but we should model out every development, every infrastructure investment. And if it doesn't pay the city a net return on investment, if it's not building the tax base, if it's building the tax burden, we ought not to build
0: it. And we ought to build the the development that builds the tax base first and reduces the tax burden. How will you build and lead a team at City Council to ensure we receive funding to support growth-enabling infrastructure.
1: I think I did that really well. That's one of the reasons I'm running. I think that's one of the reasons I got approached by so many people. I mean, I've got uh, one of the people who's the senior fundraiser for the Conservative Party. I've got two senior active New Democrats, all kinds of liberals, all kinds of Greens, all kinds of people who can't stand partisan politics from all over the city and from business and labor, culture, indigenous communities. And it's a diverse group of people. And we're very proud that we have this huge tent because one of the things I think I'm good at is working together. Remember when I was mayor, I only lost one vote, but I would not take things to council unless I had the votes. And, And comfortably, I met with every single member of council on a monthly basis. At the beginning of every session of council, I sat down with every councillor and I said, give me your three ward priorities, give me your three city priorities. And we worked them together uh, into what what we what I started in the city, which was four-year budgets. And those priorities were all recognized in the budget so that every councillor could see their fingerprints on the, their local issues because they all had mandates. They're, people are expecting stuff like that. Then we worked with everybody. You remember you and I used to meet okay. about housing. The real estate board was one of the drivers of the city's housing policy, and it was one of the major funders of it. So not just working with council. And when the councilors see they're not alone and they can look to Lions Club and Habitat for Humanity Real Estate and they can see you know, the planning department and they can see that we're building the tax base, um, they get excited about that. And so I, I, I can't imagine, I'm, I've am i learned more. Um, we've got a council that f- wants to be listened to. I only have one vote, so you absolutely have to. You're re- basically electing 16 people. One's called mayor, but there's really 16 mayors because they all have one vote. And so I, I would just run on my record and I had Bill Clement and J.D. who were conservatives and John who was a liberal, and Dan Vandel, and Jenny Gervasi, who were New Democrats, and Peter Smith who didn't really identify with any political party. I was really good at that, but you have to work really hard. The second thing is, we all work for the people of Winnipeg. And so with Gary Philman and with Gary Dewar and said with Herod, there's Stephenson, and if it's Wab Canoe one day, who knows what's going to happen. But I don't pick fights with premiers. And I worked really closely with the federal regional minister. We roll up our sleeves. We get behind closed doors. And I met quarterly, at least, if not more, with the premier, the mayor, and the regional minister. And things happened. We got the floodway through. We got, got more money at the forks. We got Waterfront Drive. We got the
0: arena built. All of the bat- groundwork for that came through that cooperation. What benchmarks and actions will you take to move key projects ahead faster to sustain delivery of core civic services?
1: Well, we have to rebuild them. I think we're going to need an emergency agreement with the federal and provincial government, and we're not alone. Our downtown residential population is... So small compared to other cities. These things we have to have rapid take up. I suggested some of the ways that we could do that with pre-approval. So we brought the first big round of IT into cities that our work management systems we saved millions of dollars. So our our planning systems, self-serve systems, SAS systems can accelerate planning. We are so far behind the eight-ball on the modernization of planning approvals and the adaption of technology. I mean, in one neighborhood, in my neighborhood, there's areas where we have like a TOD, and then we have a secondary plan, and then we have zoning, and they all conflict. And, you know, I was at a community meeting and I, there were three different projects going up in my neighborhood where I live. And the developer and the residents all said to me, he said, the only reason we're having to do variances is because the city has three different zoning bylaws and three different standards in space. And it's triggered the variance. Why do we have three different density and height and it's stupid? The city should have this all online. It should all be self-serve. It should all be digitalized and it should all be rationalized into one, one zoning category for piece of land. One, not three, not four. For, it's insane. The city has absolutely, quite frankly, on zoning and permitting, gone to hell in a handcart. Our planning department has been stripped down to nothing. It operates at forty percent of the budgets on a per capita basis compared to any other city. Center Venture, that did all of the the waterfront, the shed district, that just led downtown renewal, has been imitated. By so many other cities, they stripped out. They took away the $600,000. They stripped away all the development incentives. They took away the things for infill housing. We just need to rebuild a lot of the things that we're working. And that starts with Center Venture. And it starts with a coherent zoning and, per- and permitting and development process. It's Janice Luke's. Waiting for a community center, mm-hmm. you know, even it's not just this education, you know, you got a, a six year old, you know, w- when they're graduating from university, they finally ra- got around to build the school in your neighborhood or the community center. If you're a counselor Santos, uh, in the North End, you know, with a leaky roof and a community center that's in free fall of decline, you look at the Neganen. I, I literally cried when I saw the Negan center that we worked so hard to build for indigenous health and mm-hmm. wellness. We've abandoned core facilities and we're not building them. So the older neighborhoods are in a state of disrepair, and the newer neighborhoods are waiting way too long for the basic services the older neighborhoods have. And that is a process that didn't happen when I was married. I'm not going to get into detail. I'll just say this. Trust me. We've done this before. We have lots of people in the city who know how to fix these things. You elect me mayor. I will make sure that we all get together. I know what I don't know. And, and most of the challenges that mayors have to face they don't know about. You cannot lead a city without having two ears and building using the best best power mayor has, which is convening and bringing smart Winnipeggers to the table who know how to do these things and working with them and getting the job done.
0: Well, thanks again, Glenn, Thank you. For, uh, for participating in our mayoral podcast. And I wish you all the best in your campaign. Thanks. And uh, again, uh, it, it's been great seeing you after all these years <laughs> and uh, look forward to seeing you again at some point.
1: Nice to see you, Peter. And there's very fine people running for the mayor. And I hope we get a high voter turnout because people have lots of good choices. The worst thing that could happen is a low voter turnout. We need to get everyone, especially people who haven't been voting in recent
0: elections out to the polls, because the city government has to represent everyone. And it has to work for everyone. I couldn't agree more. Thank you. Thanks again. Thank you for participating and sharing your vision on issues important to the Winnipeg Regional Real Estate Board, its members, stakeholders, and all Winnipeggers. To our valued listeners, please tune in for more episodes of The Voice where we invite mayoral candidates to share their vision for Winnipeg.